if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. All right, then. Good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Eight minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock, and we are loaded up and ready to go. On Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks so much for joining us. It's a Monday, the 15th morning of the 8th month of the year of our Lord 2022. I hope you had a good weekend. Hope you remain safe for as long as you can. Hope you remain free of government uh, harassment and intimidation for just a few more days. Uh, those days are numbered. Those days are limited as the uh, Inflation Production Act, not Reduction Act, Production Act, because it will do nothing but produce more inflation, uh, passed. And it's on its way to Biden's desk. They're going to have a great big signing ceremony and talk about all the glorious things that this, uh, that, that this does to save Mother Earth, to quote Nancy Pelosi, which is getting even more and more comical than quoting Kamala Harris these days. Um, but to save Mother Earth and reduce drug prices for Americans and all these other glorious things that they say this does, of course, ignoring the fact that we literally are on borrowed time now. Unless and until we find a way to get done what we have been promising to get done in November, which is a massive red tsunami taking back control of the Congress and undoing some of the damage that this bill does. And that is something that we are going to have to continue to monitor and talk to every member of Congress that we can and every potential member of Congress that we can in order to have uh, some sort of hope that that is what is going on. We will do that today. I've got a member of Congress coming up in about a half an hour, Jim Jordan. Uh, ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee. 
He will join us to talk about all of these things and more. Uh, as far as the could-be members of Congress, it'll be at 1035 that we have J.D. Vance, who would be on the Senate side of Congress, of course. If he is successful in beating Tim Ryan, we're going to talk to him about Ryan voting for the Inflation Production Act uh, and more. And in between those two conversations, we'll have a conversation at 1010 with Josh Hammer from Newsweek, uh, an op-ed writer who has, I think, correctly characterized the American FBI as the American Stasi. Uh, I really believe that, and we'll tell you about what that means. You probably already know. You've heard that term probably thrown around a few times since the raid on Mar-a-Lago one week ago today. Uh, there is uh, there's very, very little difference between uh, the German Stasi, the East German Stasi, and the American Stasi, which we are watching uh, take over in front of our very eyes. So we'll talk to Jim Jordan, we'll talk to Josh Hammer, and we'll talk to J.D. Vance. And as you know, my favorite person to talk to is you, 216-901-0945. Whenever you're ready, 888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers will bring you here, and I look forward uh, to your comments, to your calls, to your questions. If you can't wait on hold, because you have a life, maybe a job, and you're busy, I understand that too, and uh, you can just leave a message for me very simply on the... Um, uh, on the uh, uh, webpage, which is alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us, and go to the sound off button in the upper right-hand corner, and you can leave your message for me there. It's very easy. Send it right to my screen, and I'll play it here on the air for all of us to consider. So 216-901-0945 or sound off at alwayswrite.us. Now, before we get into the important news of the day, I'm going to ask you as a patriot to rise. Continue to throw your shoulders back, puff your chest out, head high, as we continue to show pride in this glorious republic, the greatest force for good in the history of human civilization, despite all of the attempts to take it down by those beneath it. And I mean literally those who are working from underground in order to try to destroy it. We will not allow that to happen. Let's pledge our allegiance to it right now. Um, face a flag if you have one. If you don't, that's okay. If you believe in the Inflation Production Act and if you believe in sending 87,000 new agents to jump on every American who may make a mistake on a return, who may, may uh, miss a receipt or something of that nature just to intimidate them into shutting up and being the good little um, proles that they are, well, then uh, you have no interest or knowledge of what this flag represents anyway. You may go ahead and take a knee. Instead, next to your favorite ex-quarterback, your favorite ex-WNBA player serving a nine-year sentence in Russia, and your favorite pink-haired ex-soccer player. All of them are kneeling while we stand and rise and say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So the law apparently no longer applies if the target of the law is Donald J. Trump. Staying on this, one week ago today, of course, it was the massive raid on Mar-a-Lago, and one week later we're still dealing with the fallout and finding out new information about the corrupt, um, can you call it an investigation, the corrupt approval of a warrant by a corrupt Department of Justice head and Attorney General Merrick Garland uh, being passed down through a corrupt FBI head in Christopher Ray, to not just, not just, search for certain documents that they think might be improperly stored at Mar-a-Lago, 
but to search for literally every single thing Donald Trump has ever touched, including and especially attorney-client privileged materials. Law? What law? What are you talking about? Laws be damned. That is essentially what we are finding out here, that the laws no longer apply if they are involving Donald J. Trump. Everyone knows what attorney-client privilege is. Any information gleaned from a violation of attorney-client privilege, whether it be spoken or written, would be inadmissible in a, uh, inadmissible in a court of law and irrelevant in any kind of investigation. That's the reality of the situation. Yet, the American Stasi, known as the weaponized FBI, went to Mar-a-Lago and took, yes, attorney-client privileged information. Additionally, because they were basically given a blank check, kind of like a, hey, go find anything that you can to prove that this guy has committed some crimes or some violations that would make him ineligible for running for office. Find whatever you have to. Go into every nook and cranny of that that residence. And as you know by now, I mean, they took that literally. They went in and searched Melania's closets, rummaging through her clothes and personal belongings, just in the event that, Classified documentation might have been stored in one of Melania's suit pockets. I mean, honestly, it's 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 just that bad. So they gave them a blank check. They gave them essentially an open warrant to look for anything and everything that you can possibly find. It wasn't about nu- nuclear code specifically. It wasn't about foreign affairs. It wasn't about pictures that might be compromising. It was anything you could find that he has ever touched or ever looked at. That's what we want you to uh, to to take out of there. And some of the things that they found, some of the things that they found were indeed attorney-client privileged materials. Those things should have been off guard, or off limits, rather. The Department of Justice took materials that contained privileged attorney-client communications in its raid. Uh, The claim reported by Fox News raised new questions about the DOJ's tactics, as well as doubts about whether the DOJ would be able to use any of those seized materials in a hypothetical prosecution of the former president. This is Breitbart now. The DOJ is apparently opposing the the appointment of a special master, which would be a judicial official, who would conduct an independent review and decide which materials could be handed off to the government and which materials would have to be returned to Trump and his attorneys. Fox News reported, quote, The FBI seized boxes containing records covered by attorney-client privilege and potentially executive privilege during its raid of former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago home, according to sources familiar with the investigation. Sources said that uh, the former president's team was informed that boxes labeled A14, A26, 43, 13, and 33, and a set of documents all seen on the final page of the FBI's property receipt contained information covered by attorney-client privilege. That means it is not something that the prosecution or the investigation is supposed to be made aware. This, these are things they are not supposed to know. They're privileged. The FBI seized classified records, uh, including some marked, uh, uh, let's see, classified records, including some marked as top secret, but the former president is disputing that classification, saying the records had been declassified. But the attorney-client privilege protected under the right to counsel guaranteed by the Sixth Amendment to the Constitution. We are talking about fundamental constitutional rights contained in the Bill of Rights. 
that protection is afforded to anyone and everyone as American citizens. It does not get lifted because you hate the guy that, that's being investigated. It's one thing to break the law, which the FBI has already done, lying to get warrants from a FISA court, bogus warrants, based upon lies and bogus information in a dossier that was funded and paid for by a rival political campaign, the Clinton campaign. The FBI is corrupt and dirty from that point forward, but they didn't stop there. It is also a violation of rights of a citizen, the the basic civil rights, the basic uh, rights afforded us in the Bill of Rights, to then monitor those individuals after said campaign is over, while someone is president of the United States, but they surveilled them anyway. The FBI lied and was complicit in the entire two-and-a-half-year, $32 million Mueller report boondoggle just begging to find something that shows Donald Trump once colluded with the Kremlin in order to win the uh, presidency. They found, of course, nothing. The FBI has a track record of going after this guy upon orders from their direct superiors, including the Attorney General, going after this guy to find anything and everything that they can. They have broken so many laws, I couldn't even list them all. But now, they're stooping to the level of just every American. Every American has the right to attorney-client privilege. Not every American has the ability to declassify documentation the way a president can, but everyone has a right to attorney-client privilege, and they violated that sacrosanct right to counsel in the Sixth Amendment. Last year, a federal judge ordered the appointment of a special master to be used after the DOJ seized journalist James O'Keefe's phone. The New York Times, which faced a defamation suit from O'Keefe, began publishing legal memos between O'Keefe and his attorneys shortly after the phone had been seized, prompting suspicions of, of course, leaks. Legal scholar Jonathan Turley wrote that the request for the appointment of a special master after the Mar-a-Lago raid seems reasonable, given the search warrant's broad scope. The request for a special master would would seem reasonable, particularly given the sweeping language used in the report. Now, that's how Turley describes it. Compared the, comparing this to O'Keefe when they just took his phone, they went so much further on Trump, so much further, and they got a special master in the, in the, O'Keefe, uh, in the O'Keefe case. So uh, this is so broad. Turley's language is, again, that it's a broad, sweeping language. My, my vernacular here is this is go in and find whatever you can find to prove him guilty of something, and it does not matter what. I brought this up last week, and I thought it was an American or a former FBI official or somebody who once said, show me the man and I'll show you his crime. And Peter Kersenow called and said, nope, it was actually an ex-KGB before the KGB actually became the KGB. The precursor to the KGB during the Stalin era was the one who said, show me the man and I'll show you his crime. And that's what they did in Stalinist Russia. That's what they did to, uh, to keep the people under control. Anyone could be accused of anything, and, and all the government has to do is give, give, give them a blank check, free reign to dig into somebody's life and say, here, I found something that he did wrong. Go execute him. And that's the way it was done. And I'm not saying that's going to happen here, but the tactics are the same. Go into Donald Trump's life and find me something that I can charge him uh, with a crime on. Now, I'm going to say this and share this with you briefly before the break, because I found this to be just fascinating. 
fascinating that President Trump's attorney, one of President Trump's attorneys, said to him something that I, I'm just amazed that they would have the guts to say, to tell the truth. And that is, Mr. President, we can make every one of these investigations and these tactics and this harassment and this intimidation, we can make it all go away, all of it, if you do just one thing. And you know what that one thing is, don't you? The one thing Donald Trump can do to make all of this go away, announce that he's not running in 2024. Trump's attorney, again, one of his attorneys, Alina Haba, said that if President Trump would just say, I'm not running in 2024, this will all be dropped. Because that's all they want. They want to be rid of him. They don't want to have to face him. And the January 6th committee would go away. This investigation would go away. Property would be returned. All of it. If he would just get out of the way. If he's not leading in the polls, I've sat across from him every time he gets frustrated, and I say to him, Mr. President, if you would like me to resolve all your litigation, you should announce that you are not running for office, and all of this will stop. That's what they want. Alina Haba said this on Real America's Voice on Friday. She added that Trump was honestly not surprised after the raid of his home. And she added, I hope he runs. I told him this is actually going to increase your support in your base because they just always take it a little too far. The Democrat Party, they can't get out of their own way sometimes, end quote. And I think this particular attorney is spot on. If he wanted to make it all go away, he could just say, I'm not running in 2024. But you know Donald Trump does not back down from fights. The last thing he would ever do is say, okay, you win, I'm not running, drop all of the investigations. He says, bring them on. And that's one of the reasons why I, despite being a strong supporter of Ron DeSantis at this point in time, uh, find myself saying, let's go, Mr. President, let's go. 924, always right, radio, AM 1420, the answer, right back. Nine twenty-seven. Now, always red radio. AM fourteen twenty. The answer coming up in uh, about eight minutes or so. We're going to talk to Congressman Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan correctly pointed out something that a lot of people have been have been kind of marveling at, and that is the brazenness of the two-tiered system of justice. Depending upon the letter that follows your name, depending upon. Um, the media favorability ratings for individuals in office and so forth. What I mean is, he tweeted, did Jim Jordan on Saturday, Hunter Biden, Hillary Clinton, Andrew McCabe, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, Lois Lerner, the Portland Rioters, and Supreme Court harassers. But don't worry. Merrick Garland assures us that the DOJ prosecutes cases without fear or favor. And his point, of course, is very simple. None of the people on the list that I just gave you have ever been investigated, raided, much less 
prosecuted for their myriad of crimes, some of them violent, some of them just as if not more dangerous than the classification issues regarding some of the documents that they took from Mar-a-Lago. Hunter Biden has committed a countless number of felonies that have all been made available to the public by way of his dumb, high, crack-addled behind leaving his computer at a repair shop to be turned over and then publicized. We know that he's committed all these crimes. We know that he has colluded with his father in the commission of some of them, at least making him aware of them. No investigations, no raids. Hillary Clinton had James Comey do a full-on FBI investigation into her release and and, uh, mishandling of classified information on servers that could have been hacked and uploaded or or taken, much different than storage boxes, by the way, in Mar-a-Lago. But Hillary Clinton found to have trafficked in 33,000 classified emails after leaving the State Department? She wasn't even a former president? No investigation. No raid. Well, there was an investigation. Let me rephrase. Uh, No punishment, no prosecution, and no raid. Andrew McCabe, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, all of those who were party to the uh, 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 spying on Trump and his, uh, his campaign and his presidency, again, all proven. No punishments, no prosecutions, no raids. No punishment, because there is a two-tiered system of government in the United States. That's what Jim Jordan uh, wrote about. Now we're going to let him talk about it. That's next after the news, AM 1420, The Answer. Delivering you from the depravity of the radical left. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. 937 now. We continue on AM 1420. The Answer. Thanks so much for being with us. As it is Monday, and it is now uh, our 935 time slot. You know what to expect by now, right? That's Congressman Jim Jordan. He is uh, Ohio's 4th Congressional District Representative. He is also the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee. Congressman, good to have you back. How are you, sir? I'm, I'm doing fine, Bob. Uh, good to be back with you. Yes, sir. I always appreciate your time. Um, I was reading before the bottom of the hour um, your tweet on Saturday uh, to the audience, and uh, I want to repeat it for you because it, it really underscores some of the most important things I want to talk to you about, and that is the two-tiered system of justice. You tweeted Hunter mm-hmm. Biden, Hillary Clinton, Andrew McCabe, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, Lois Lerner, the Portland Rioters, and Supreme Court harassers. You said, but don't worry, Merrick Garland assures us that the DOG, DOJ prosecutes cases without fear or favor. Obviously, you type that out with your tongue planted firmly in your cheek, but it's not yep. a joke. It's it's terrifying that the DOJ really does select um, uh, you know uh, individuals to prosecute based upon their own political per- preferences, or in the case of Donald Trump, their own political uh, power. Yeah, and your audience knows that the country knows that anyone with common sense and, and, and an objective look at things understands that you have this now a double standard or two standards. Uh, it was it even made more clear over the weekend. There was a great piece written by uh, Brooke Singman in, in, in Fox News, where um, she talked about the Trump lawyers are saying that there is, there's, there's privileged information that, that the uh, Justice Department has seized. And uh, the, 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 the Trump team said, look, there's executive privilege information. There may be attorney-client privilege information there. There's privileged information. We don't want – you're not supposed to have that. But, look, we're willing to say, why don't you let some neutral third party like a retired federal judge examine that? And the Justice Department said no. Now, here's the interesting thing about that, Bob. I remember distinctly six years ago 
when I had a chance to question Hillary Clinton, I asked her the same question. Only it was it was flipped around. I said, "You've got all sixty thousand some emails. You're deciding which ones are are personal, which ones that are work related, and we should get a chance to look at from your personal server." I said, "Would you be open to letting a neutral?" I used the same language, a neutral third party, like a retired federal judge, examine those those documents. And she said, "No." Like, so think about it. That they got to, she got to decide. And the Justice Department did nothing. Oh, that was fine. Now the Justice Department takes this information and they says, no, no, we're not going to do that. We'll decide. So just further underscoring how this there's a different standard depending on the politics of the individual who's being targeted. Now, there has been no indictment, so we don't know that there's any prosecution coming. But let's just say for the sake of discussion, there is. Let's say that they find some things in this documentation or whatever it is that they want to do to, to try to uh, destroy President Trump, which has been their mission from uh, from really 2015 on. Um, how, how much of what they find in, in, these, in these documents can even be used? How much of it would be admissible if, if there is even a question as to whether or not it was attorney-client privileged? Well, and also remember, the attorney wanted to be, and normal, normal the case, normally the case is the attorney gets to be present while they're doing the search. They said, right. no, you're out, we're going, and we have access to 58 rooms, if you remember what the search warrant said, 58 rooms in President Trump's uh, private residence, and we know that they were searching all over the place. So, yeah, yeah, I, I think all that gets litigated, but the truth is they now have it. They now have it, which sort of underscores this looks like it may have been just this whole uh, Archives and Records uh, Act uh, may have just been like, that's what we're using as the pretext to get in there to, to look for whatever we darn well want Anything, to may, may right. be able to find. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. You know, it's the old, I was talking to Peter Kersenow about this last week, the, uh, the ex-KG, precursor to the KGB, actually, in Stalinist Russia, is the one who said, show me the man and I'll show you his crime. Yeah. Give me a blank Very. check, unfettered access to anything in a man's life, and I will find things that you can charge him with as a, as a reason and, and, and an excuse to, to execute, or in, their, in those cases, or in this case, destroy Donald Trump. Politically, so um, again, I wonder how much of it would be admissible in a potential trial, anyway. And then, second of all, how do we know what is in those boxes was in those boxes before they got there? What's the chain of custody? How do we know? You yeah. mentioned attorneys aren't allowed to watch. Um, the media reports, uh, Congressman Jordan, also were that the FBI, when they went in to start searching in Mar-a-Lago one week ago today, they ordered that security cameras be cut. That that the cameras were not allowed to record them as they did their job inside of the of the residence is that true? I have heard that reported. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But that is a it's a great question. I don't know the answer to that. To the uh, to the previous question on chain of custody, that's critical too. Who now has access to these boxes of documents and information? Where are they being stored? What room are they being stored at at the at the at the Justice Department? Is there a padlock on that room like they required to be on the room that in Marla? There are all kinds of questions that you need you need to ask. Is there a log? I assume there is because there's typically those kind of logs that at at uh, you know uh, at police departments where who's got access to the evidence and I assume that's the case. But all those are important questions, particularly when you're talking about the former president of the United States of America and likely candidate for president. In, in, a, in a matter of months, probably, what, what I think President Trump will, will, will announce, but certainly running in the 2024 race, it appears. Two more questions on the president, the raid, the former president, the raid, and, and, and all of the fallout. And then we'll get into the uh, passage of that monstros- monstrosity uh, that you did on Friday. Not you, but your, your colleagues. Um, 
President Trump's attorney has said to him, according to a report that I read this morning, if you want all of your litigation to go away, sir, I can make it go away immediately. And that would be, I think that means the January 6th Select Committee and all of their targeting of him, anything that they find or uh, may have been searching for in the documentation in his home and everything else, we can make it all go away if you do one thing. And that is announce you're not running in 2024. She said that will end all of this because that's all that they want. Do you agree? Well, it may, uh, but he ain't going to announce that. He's going. I think he's going to run. You know, I've talked about that numerous times, and I want him to. I've been clear about that. So, um, and, and let's be honest. If if let's say that would happen, that the president would do that and it would all go away, then the left would just turn. They would just turn to whoever's the next likely Republican candidate. They'd come after DeSantis and Pompeo and everyone else. <laughs> that's how the left operates. So, You're right. So that that's not going to change any, anything there. But we. In my judgment, we need President Trump back in the, in the White House. I, I've said this many times. No one did more what he said he would do than he did. He did it with every uh, every Democrat against him, everyone in the mainstream press against him, half the Republicans against him, and all the bureaucracy. And he still got more done than any president who's ever been in the Oval Office. So that, 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 is, um, that, that is the attitude and the intensity we need at a time like this with the left doing all the crazy things they're doing. So I hope he runs. But uh, his lawyer, if he said that, I don't know if he said that or not, but if he said it, I, I sort of get the point. Uh, they've been out to get this guy since since before he was in office. They spent all four years while he was in office, and of course, they continue to do it today. Here's the other interesting thing, Bob. I think I find this 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 uh, uh, kind of interesting as well. That it looked like the January 6th committee was getting really nowhere. The country we're, we're about to have a referendum on the January 6th committee. It's going to be the Wyoming uh, congressional election tomorrow. Um, so. Depending on what happens there, I think that's the country sending a message. Remember, there's no Democrat running in that race, and, and the Cheney campaign is actively soliciting the support of Democrats. So, whatever happens tomorrow, and then I think it's a referendum on January 6th, I think the Democrats understand that that committee is not accomplishing what they all said thought it was going to. And so, boom, here we go with this raid under the Records Act, literally on the heels of them realizing, oh, she's probably going to lose, and this committee is not getting where we where we thought it was going to go. Very similar to what happened a couple years ago when Bob Mueller testified, and he was so terrible, and they realized, oh, my goodness, this Mueller stuff is not going to fly. The very next day is when the so-called anonymous whistleblower came forward and told us about the call between Vindman and, and, and President Trump. I mean, they, they, they don't miss a beat. If one thing's not working, they move on to something else to attack this guy, and, and I think we're seeing that same scenario play out here. Well, I think you're right. We're talking to Congressman Jim Jordan. I think you're right. And um and and I think the best, you know, uh evidence here that President Trump would never even think about following. And it wasn't advice by the way. That attorney in the story that I just told you about said, "I want him to run, but I told him that this oh, could good. all go away if you don't." Yeah. Uh j- just to let you know what they're doing here. And of course, that is you give him a challenge, you know, he's coming right back and saying this is exactly <laughs> yeah, why. Yeah, that's what I love about him. <laughs> but 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 to buttress that, I mean, you know, Here's here's the latest poll from uh, Politico and Morning Consult. He has gotten a ten point bump since the raid. So in the middle of the raid, in the middle of the uh, uh, the uh, January sixth Select Committee and everything else that's going on to try to tear him down, he continues to gain strength. He gained four in the uh, in the hypothetical race uh, among pri- Republican primary voters in the yeah, hypothetical yeah. race against uh, Ron DeSantis he went up for Ron DeSantis to up down 6 so a 10 point overall bump uh to 57% in this uh political morning console poll so the people are just not having it you know the people who are part of the yeah. mega base the people who are re- and, and these aren't even all mega people these are just likely republican voters in the primary that's They're- all that they are and they are saying we're not having it uh and they want him to run 
Yeah, no, and they're, they're people with common sense, and they're people who understand the Constitution and how our constitutional system works. I was all over our district last week. I heard it from people. They were ticked off, and well, they should be. I was in Florida over the weekend doing an event with Matt Gates. He had a, we had an event with Matt where there were 650 people show up for, for a little mini rally kind of thing. Those people were fired up because they understand how wrong this is and how this is not how our great constitutional republic is supposed to operate. So, yeah, I, I, and I think the president is energized by that. And um, like, like we've said countless times, I think he's running and I want him to. Let's uh, go back to legislation now. On Friday, the vote happened that we all knew was going to happen after it squeaked by in the Senate, thanks to Joe Manchin caving in. The uh, Inflation Production Act uh, is now law. Well, it's about to be as soon as Joe Biden signs it. What is the what? What are your top two or three biggest problems with that bill? Is it is it the amount of money spent on climate? Is it the uh, is it the you know, hiring of eighty seven thousand agents to crawl up the backsides of middle class Americans looking for mistakes so that they can make their lives miserable, particularly if they're uh, if they happen to be conservative uh what, what are your biggest issues with the inflation production act yeah it's that i mean it, look it's all bad and in, in, in the climate change element that the, the um the, but but the big the tax increases the fact that it's going to increase inflation not reduce inflation but the biggest thing is is these thousands and thousands of agents who are going to harass american taxpayers harass middle class business owners middle class families and i use this example on the floor i you know who they're coming after this is the typical family. It's the, it's the assistant football coach at the local high school who's busting his tail every day helping his students and student athletes, who in the summertime has a side business to, to you know put away some money for his kids and their college fund. He's got a side business cutting grass, painting houses, paying his taxes. They're going to come after him. They're going to say, oh, this guy's got this side operation business here. Let's go investigate him. And they're going to harass this guy who was simply busting his tail. And as I said on the House floor on Friday, the people who will be harassing him, they'll be using his tax money to come after him, the taxpayer. They're going to be working remote. They're going to be drinking their fancy coffee from their home in northern Virginia, harassing the assistant football coach who is working hard. That's who they're coming after, and that's what makes this so so just disgusting. And, and you know, like potentially 87,000 of these people. So that's the problem. Um, that I hate most about this bill. Nancy Pelosi said this about the fact that no Republicans voted for this bill, uh, that Republicans voted against Mother Earth, uh, voted oh. against lowering prescription drug costs, lowering health care costs, reducing the deficit, and, quote, paid for to lower inflation to save the planet. Um, so, I mean, take take as many of those as you wish, but I mean, you know, they, they they lump all of these things together uh, in yeah. one bill. Obviously, this giant reconciliation, and and they and then they want to paint you as being you know somehow against lowering yeah. prescription drug prices. Well, I mean, it's, it's, he just want to laugh. Like, what are they talking about? Like, the, the Inflation Reduction Act spends a bunch of money, and, and that's going to reduce inflation. Oh, but, and oh, by the way, I thought just last week Joe Biden announced inflation was zero. If inflation was zero, like he said from the from the podium in the in the in the briefing room, if inflation is zero, why did you need the Inflation Reduction Act? For goodness' sake! So, like, this is this inflation, so-called Inflation Reduction Act, is going to increase inflation. It's, the Inflation Reduction Act is going to raise taxes, and the Inflation Reduction Act is going to unleash thousands and thousands of bureaucrats to harass you the taxpayer such a deal that if she wants to talk about that okay fine let's go we're going to have an election in 80 some days let's see what the american people decide when they look at what you just passed and where things are in this country let's 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 see what happens but no no one with common sense believes that garbage that they're 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 telling the country that, that, that this bill is about 
And the last thing I'll ask you, Congressman, before you go, um, as we look toward November and a chance to perhaps rein in some of this insanity and maybe even undo some of the damage in this bill uh, by, by the by the Holman uh, uh, Act, but Representative Richard Neal made a statement last week. He's a yeah. Democrat. Yeah. He said, yeah. we, the Democrats, will raise corporate and individual tax rates next year. That's a that's yep. a direct quote. We will do this. Announcing yep. we're going to raise your taxes. How can any American, Democrat, Republican, or Independent, look at that and say, "I want the Democrats to retain power. I want to see my taxes go up next year. I want to see everything that I pay for go up next year." They're promising they're going to do it. That's who I want to vote for. Yeah, and remember, this is not just any Democrat. This is the guy who runs the Ways and Means Committee. I mean, this is this is like that, that's the committee that writes the tax law. So I mean, it's like. This is this is pretty big stuff when they're announcing if you keep them in control, get ready. There are going to be more tax increases coming. And these 87,000 agents, there's no way to get rid of them. But the Democrats are in power. They will be out there harassing you to get more of your money. So they're going to first raise your taxes. Then they're going to send out agents to harass you to get make sure you paid every single penny that the big government wants you as an American citizen to give to them. That is that that is frightening stuff, and you couple that with what we've seen from the Justice Department and the political operation of that place, that's what this election's about. Ultimately, when you boil it down, all these issues are important, but in the end, that's what it's about, the power that they want in D.C. to take your money and to run your life. There's no question about it, and it's pretty terrifying that they may have the ability to do so if they control the elections, and we have no earthly idea how that's going to play out. Congressman Jordan, and by the way, I meant Holman Rule, not Holman Act. It's not a law, but the Holman Rule, and I hope that is something yep. that uh, you and some of your other colleagues are discussing if and when November happens, and we're able to take that sure. uh, that control back. Congressman Jordan, thank you for the time. I appreciate your, uh, your, your thoughts on all of these things, and we'll talk to you again soon. Great. Take care. Thanks. Thank you. Jim Jordan on AM 1420, The Answer. The Holman Rule is so incredibly important, uh, and, and people need to understand that. It's, it's something that I promise you, Jim Jordan and Matt Gates and others when they meet, that they are talking about. It was a rule that was enacted way back in 1876, but then rescinded in 1983 during the Reagan administration for some reason, congressionally. But it was reinstated during President Trump's term in 2017 on a temporary basis, and that's a rule that allows the House to um, amend appropriations legislation that would reduce the salaries or fire specific federal employees or cut a specific federal program. That rule would be the rule if the Republicans take back over in November that they could use, could use, to fire the 87,000 newly hired IRS agents and change that devastating piece of that legislation. That's important. And I will tell you this, as I tell you all the time, you know, don't just sit in your hands and listen to talk radio and get mad. Get active. you got to contact every representative you can and contract, contact our state senator, or uh, our Ohio senators from the state of Ohio uh, as well, and obviously currently Brown and Portman, but uh, elect the right people and, um, and get them to use that. Use the Holman rule to, to rid us of this, uh, this extraordinary uh, invasion into our personal and financial lives that are being planned by the Democrats. Okay, 955, right back, always right radio.
You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number two underway now, eight minutes past 10 o'clock. Good morning. Thanks for being with us on this Monday, the 15th morning of the 8th month of the year of our Lord, 2022. One week since the raid. And I guess we could probably just call it that now, and everybody will know what we mean. The raid. The uh, the raid of Mar-a-Lago. The raid of former President Donald Trump. And quite frankly, the raid of American innocence. If this can happen to a former president without just cause, it can happen to anybody. This is not the act of a lawful society. It's the act of a lawless society. And the fact that the lawlessness is being conducted by the law enforcement agencies, and in this case the FBI, makes it that much more damning. Is the American FBI the American Stasi? Do you know about the East German Stasi that started at around 1950? Maybe the most um, brutal and repressive regime of uh, secret police, if you will, maybe in in world history. And it's got some competition there. But uh, is that what we're watching play out before our very eyes right now? Well, that was the tone taken by our next guest, Josh Hammer. We've spoken to Josh before. He is a Newsweek opinion editor and also the host of the Josh Hammer Show. His latest piece in Newsweek, talks about the American Stasi. Josh is here with us now to discuss. Josh, good morning. Good to have you back. How are you? Great to be back with you, even on a, even on a week like like this week, which is, a, which is a difficult one, but it was great to be with you. Well, you know, since it has been one week now, a milestone of sorts, if you will, take me back to Monday. What did you? Uh, what were your initial thoughts when you found out that the FBI had sent 40 agents uh, to Mar-a-Lago, went in at 6.30 in the morning, spent 9 to 12 hours, I hear different numbers there, uh, uh, essentially combing the entire residence and the entire uh, estate for anything and everything that they could find. What was your reaction to that? Bob, I'll put you this way. So this, I, I remember this very well. It's one, one week ago. So I went for a nice walk. I was walking around, got some steps in, some exercise in. I got back all sweaty. I was about to hop in the shower. And as, as I was about to hop in the shower, I got the first notification this was happening. I didn't actually get into the shower until about three and a half, four hours later. I, I was just glued to my computer, to my television, just with like my jaw dropped halfway to the ground. I mean, those initial reactions. I mean, Buck Sexton, you know, co-host of the Clay and Buck Show, a good friend of mine. He was on Fox. He he, he immediately called it a cross with the Rubicon moment. Dan Bongino was on that same Fox program. Jesse Waters was seven to eight p.m. Eastern Time hour. Dan described it as uh, third world BS. Except he didn't say BS. He actually used the word on live television. So, uh, look, I mean, honestly, one week later, my perspective is still not very different than what those two gentlemen said. I mean, despite what we purportedly now know, the Warrens, what Merrick Garland said on Thursday, none of it really changes the underlying crossing of the Rubicon, which still remains. It it is just, it it is something that I can't say I didn't necessarily expect because there were so many leading indications over the past few years that the FBI and the broader DOJ apparatus were being weaponized by the Democratic Party regime in this matter. But, man, I mean, a pre-dawn raid 
on a former president of the United States. I mean, this is literally the kind of stuff that you see headlines out of in sub-Saharan Africa and these third-world countries. I mean, this is right. just not the stuff that the United States should ever stand for, ever. Full stop, period, end of story. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And the worst part about it to me, Josh, is is they still haven't been clear as to what they're looking for. It sounds like this is just a matter of show me the man and I'll show you his crime. Get in there and find me something that we can find that is criminal so that we can stop this man, so that we can lock this man up, or at the very least make sure he doesn't run again. Um, Not to get into another publication here, uh, but, but the Federalist described that after the warrant was finally released and unsealed, described it as uh, the FBI search warrant authorizing the government rate of former President Donald Trump's Florida residents sought an exhaustive list of any White House records the president ever came in contact with, according to the document obtained by the Federalist, outlining the property to be seized by the more than 30 agents who rummaged through the former president's Mar-a-Lago mansion. The warrant demanded confiscation of any document Trump ever saw, read, or created for the entirety of his four years as commander-in-chief. Anything he wrote down in a napkin... Federal officials were authorized to raid and capture it. Um, now that we're finding out, you know, what we are at the moment about um, a, a potential attorney-client privileged documentation, they took that too. It sounds like the Federalist was right in their description of this. Um, that means they didn't have a target that they were looking for something specifically like nuclear documentation, which was, you know, kind of the the talk last week. But it was basically take anything and everything you can find in his. Uh, um, uh, uh, possession or in Melania's clothing closet for crying out loud. Anything you can find to get us, give us something to get this guy on, that's what we want. Is that how you read it? You know, if you go back to the 1760s and the 1770s, you know, it's funny, on, on a personal side, I actually, I was up in Boston, Massachusetts about nine or ten days ago. I went to the when the Boston Tea Party reenactment, it's, it's quite a fun activity if you're there in the Boston area. You know, you kind of you see the people dressed up and you're throwing the tea to kind of protest the British crown's excesses against we the people. Around that time, when the people of Boston, Massachusetts, were throwing that tea into Boston Harbor, one of their leading grievances, and they wrote this down right in the Declaration of Independence. You can read it right there. One of their leading grievances was the so-called warrant, which was exactly what it sounds like. It was a non-specific warrant. That was found, that was signed off by British magistrates and executed by you know loyal foot soldiers to the British monarch, mm-hmm. and it basically allowed these soldiers in the American colonies to go into your home and rummage around for whatever the heck they wanted to. In fact, the reason, the very reason that the U.S. Bill of Rights ratified in 1791 has the Fourth Amendment with its protection against unreasonable searches and seizures, it is literally there to prevent exactly these sort of so-called general warrants that it looks an awful lot like this warrant that Judge Reinhardt executed on Mar-a-Lago last Monday. You know, it, it looks a lot like that kind of general warrant. By the way, you know, on a similar kind of note with the Biden Justice on the Biden FBI, I would say what happened to my friend John Eastman uh, with respect to when his cell phone was seized, um, you know, by the Fed out of New Mexico, I think it was about a, month, a couple months ago, maybe it was in May or June, he went on Tucker Carlson's show to talk about the warrants that he saw, that, that he was served with, and he described it in exactly the same way. John was on Tucker's show saying this is extremely general. It was not specific in what they were looking for. It was allowing them kind of full, wide-ranging, roving, plenary ability to just acquire whatever they wanted to acquire. You know, I'm not a criminal procedure lawyer. I, I, I did take criminal procedure at law school class. I, this strikes me as pretty unconstitutional, as almost assuredly unconstitutional based on what I have seen thus far. 
this is just not the kind of warrant that is permissible under our Fourth Amendment. So, you know, uh, I think what you see here is what you get. It seems to me that the Federalist has this story right. It's really, it, it just makes a bad story even worse, though, honestly. I want to talk more about Judge Reinhardt. Um, you reference him. We're talking to Josh Hammer, by the way. You should read his piece. It's connected right now to my uh, uh, webpage, which is always right.us, upper left-hand corner. You'll see Josh Hammer's name and a link to this article. Uh, he's a Newsweek opinion editor and the host of the Josh Hammer Show. Um, Judge Reinhardt, you, you note in your, your article um, that he donated thousands of dollars to Barack Obama. You note the Jeffrey Epstein connection. But the part that I think is most interesting about Bruce Reinhardt that we found out last week is that he recused himself from a lawsuit uh, between uh, Donald Trump right. and Hillary Clinton for his inability, his own recognized and admitted inability to be impartial. Well, that means he didn't like one or the other of them. And he was going to be, you know, he's worried that that might, 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 uh, you know, uh, hamper his ability to to be a, a fair and impartial jurist in this case. Well, then we found out he had a couple of Facebook posts in which he was very, very disparaging of Donald Trump. So now we have the answer as to which one of them he didn't like. So this is a guy who admittedly can't separate his dislike from Donald Trump far enough to allow him to preside over a civil trial involving Donald Trump, and yet this is the guy who signs off on this expansive, massive, non-specific warrant to take anything and everything Donald Trump ever touched. I mean, how does that not just, you know, how is that not just tainted from the get-go? Yeah, that was quite a discovery when someone, I can't remember who it was, first realized that Judge Reinhardt had recused himself from this civil litigation between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton as recently as you know, a month and a half, two months ago or so, whenever it was. I mean, I mean, what changed? I mean, I mean, what could have possibly changed in a month and a half, two months to make it so that he felt the, uh, obliged to recuse himself in that case, but not in a criminal case? I, and, you know, the short answer, obviously, is that nothing changed because, it, I, like you just said, you go back and look at his kind of prolific, long, and glorious history of social media posting. He's had it. He's had it out for Donald Trump for many, many years now. There's that 2017 Facebook post where he, where I think I, I don't remember the exact verbatim quote, but he says like Donald Trump is not fit to to kiss John Lewis's feet. I mean, talk about rhetoric, by the way, that yeah. any kind of federal judge, even a, even even a magistrate, I mean, you know, even someone who is not like that, like an 11th Circuit judge or whatever, I mean, not, even a magistrate judge should not be posting that kind of stuff on social media. Crazy stuff here. But, look, I mean, this guy clearly has an agenda. And the fact that he thought the need to follow through on that and recuse himself a month and a half, two months ago, but not now. I, I, again, all of these data points just make an already very harrowing and awful story. They just augmented and exacerbated, and they just make it look even more like the very clear, obvious, and flagrant two-tier system of justice that I think many you know, red-blooded patriotic Americans tragically, unfortunately, see spiraling out of control here. I mean, all this does is to make stories like Jeffrey Clark, Steve Bannon, Peter Navarro, James O'Keefe. I mean, the the number of conservatives from both inside and outside the former Trump administration now who have been targeted by this FBI, it, it's out of control. It is truly, truly out of control. I say this as a back-the-blue kind of guy. I'm a law enforcement guy. I literally have a thin blue line face mask that I used to wear during COVID when masks were still required. I, I, I take no pleasure in, in informing the American people that the FBI is no longer doing its job. But from another perspective, you know, it's kind of full circle, actually. You know, the early days of the FBI, back when J. Edgar Hoover was founding it, 
we're kind of notorious for this kind of thing. So if this is the way the FBI ends, it's almost kind of poetic justice that it's come full circle. Uh, we're talking with Josh Hammer, opinion editor at Newsweek. In your latest article about this, uh, let's talk more about the Stasi now, uh, otherwise known as the American FBI. Um, you talk about them not deserving the benefit of the doubt, uh, and I concur. I was talking about this at length last week. Every time I saw somebody in the left-wing media or somebody in the Biden administration talk about how the uh, it, these are law enforcement officers, I thought Republicans cared about law enforcement. How dare they criticize and condemn them? They deserve the benefit of the doubt for who they are and what they do. And I think the recent history of the FBI would, would pretty much, you know, uh, refute that, uh, from their role in, you know, the, the corrupt, or excuse me, the collusion hoax, uh, that they, uh, used to spy on the Trump campaign, then the Trump administration, to what they've done to parents, uh, coordinating and colluding with the Biden administration by way of, uh, you know, the National School Boards Association to declare them uh, domestic terrorists and threats and so forth. The FBI hasn't earned the benefit of the doubt, at least not the FBI in its current iteration. And maybe since the, you know, the beginning of the James Comey now transitioned into the Chris Ray iteration of the FBI. Right, exactly. I mean, Hillary Clinton had 33,000 emails on an, unsecure, on an insecure private home server. Literally nothing happened. I mean, not only was there no FBI raid, there was never even an, an indictment. I mean, James Comey let her off the hook with a literal slap on the list, slap on the wrist, excuse me, and he said that she exhibited quote unquote extreme carelessness, which, by the way, extreme carelessness is not a legal standard. That is not a term that you learn during law school. He just totally made it up, and he made it up in openly, nakedly political fashion to, to just totally exonerate her. But James Comey's FBI was that was complicit from the get-go in the dissemination of the faux-fabricated bit of Hillary Clinton oppo research known as the Steele dossier. I mean, the FBI was totally complicit in getting the Steele dossier out there. The Steele dossier was kind of, you know, ground zero for getting the broader narrative of Russian collusion hoax out there, which led to the Bob Mueller investigation. And, you know, thus far, in the aftermath of, uh, of Michael Sussman getting off the hook, in D.C. about a month, month, month and a half ago or so, you know, the only conviction we had, to my knowledge, was was, was Kevin Kleinsmith, who I mentioned in the in this op-ed that you've been kind enough to mention there. And Kevin Kleinsmith did ultimately plead guilty for lying to the FBI to get a, a Fisk court, a, a surveillance court warrant against Carter Page, formerly of the Trump campaign, when he, when, when he lied, basically, and said that Carter Page was working with the Russians. In fact, he was actually not. So we do have at least one former agent who has been formally convicted. There probably should be a lot more blood on the FBI's hands, frankly, at this point. Uh, per, just to clarify there, I, I of course, mean uh, you know, proverbial, but I'm not actually calling it violent, obviously, of course. to clarify. Right. Um, but the FBI has has been severely stained over the course of the past two years here. And, and, and I think, it, unfortunately, I think it really is as bad as many of the critics are saying it is. You know, um, most of us have tried to differentiate between FBI leadership and rank and file. Say, oh, not the rank and file. They're doing their jobs. They're just doing what, you know, what they're told to do, and that's okay. Uh, Bongino, since you brought him up, mentioned this, too. You know, he used to be uh, an agent, and he, he said he quit uh, when he started to see things that they were being ordered to do uh, that he could not do and would not do and knew that they were unconstitutional, a violation of his oath, uh, oath that he had taken and so forth. Um, do you allow for that separation between rank and file and leadership at the FBI level, or should some of these agents that are being told to do things that are brazen uh, like this, um, should they you know, put country first and step aside and say, I quit, I'm not going to do that? 
In theory, I think the answer is yes. You know, in in practicality, you know, agents are human beings. They have families to feed. And also, I, I think it's reasonable to understand that not every person who works in the vast, sprawling federal bureaucracy, all the millions and millions of people deep in the bowels of the various kind of alphabet student, you know, agencies. Now, the vast majority of them vote Democrats. We have the receipts on that. We know the overwhelming majority of the federal bureaucracy, and I don't, I don't believe the national security apparatus and the intelligence community is any different. They do vote for Democrats. At the end of the day, I think a large swath of these administrative flunkies are basically just there to get a paycheck and like their fat retirement pensions and all the various other government job accoutrements they get. But yes, I mean, when push comes to shove, I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're an FBI agent, if you work for the NSA, the CIA, whatever, if you work in any of these kind of agencies and you kind of look at a broader view of what has happened to your department over the past few years there, you would like to see some more retirement. And what was very interesting, we actually ran a very interesting op-ed in Newsweek on Friday by, by Darren Beatty. And I think his piece was entitled, America, he said that the national security apparatus is now the enemy. And one thing that he called upon, he called on the Republican Party, on Chairwoman uh, Ronald McDaniel, to formally set up some sort of whistleblowers fund to basically protect whistleblowers from within the intelligence community, within the national security apparatus, who, um, you know, who, who come out and expose when they have emails, when they have any kind of text messages, you know, the whole Peter Strzok, Lisa Page stuff going back to the Russiagate topic. Whenever they have kind of information of any kind of nefarious wrongdoing, and he, he was calling for a whistleblower's form to basically support them. I, I, I think that's probably a pretty good idea. Um, so, you know, hopefully that, that gets out there and, and we start talking about that a little more. But, yeah, you would like to see more people come forward for sure, but, you know, at, at the end of the day, a lot of these people are probably making a fairly modest paycheck, and they're probably not as tuned in to kind of the cable news, Twitter chatter as folks like you and I are. So I, I think some of them probably deserve to be off the hook. But, yeah, we would definitely have to see a lot more people start resigning as opposed to blindly following command. I mean, like, put another way, I mean, the agents who, like, actually agreed to raid Mar-a-Lago last Monday, I, I mean, I would love to know how many of those 30 voted for Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden, right? Oh, I mean, it's probably, out of, it's probably 30 out of 30, but I, I, I would like to see that. I would, too. I would, too, Josh. That would uh, maybe maybe tell uh, give us a lot of answers to a lot of questions. Let's put it that way. Josh Hammer, opinion editor at Newsweek, also the host of the Josh Hammer Show. Uh, terrific uh, stuff. I wish I had more time because then I could ask you which is the most dangerous three-letter organization in the federal government, FBI or IRS now. Uh, maybe we'll save that conversation for next time around. Uh, but, Josh, thanks so much for the time this morning. We appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Josh Hammer from uh, Newsweek joining us. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Always Right Radio indeed, 1037 now. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. Any of the interviews you may have missed already, we talked to Jim Jordan and we talked to Josh Hammer of Newsweek. Check those out at alwaysright.us, alwaysright.us. Those will be loaded up and ready for you to go here uh, probably in a matter of about an hour and a half. But make sure you check those when we are done. Uh, I don't buy that anything that's good for Joe Biden politically is actually good for people uh, that I'm hoping to represent. We have to remember, so another thing this does is hire 87,000 IRS agents. And the Democrats have rejected calls and laws 
that would make sure those IRS agents don't go after small and medium-sized businesses in my state. This is a disaster, Stu. It's going to hurt people. It's going to hurt workers. It's going to hurt companies that are trying to hurt workers. And whether it's good for Joe Biden politically, I frankly don't care because it's going to make the people in Ohio poorer and less comfortable. That's why we have to fight back against this stuff. That's the voice of Senate candidate J.D. Vance. His opponent in the race to replace Rob Portman, Tim Ryan, voted for 87,000 new IRS agents, along with the rest of the Democrats in Friday's vote. Uh, it is on its way to Joe Biden, where it will be signed, and it will uh, torment Americans for years to come. J.D. Vance joins us now to talk more about that. J.D., good morning. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks very much. I saw you went down to the feast. Uh, I love the Feast of the Assumption. We're actually going tonight because we were out of town all weekend. Uh, thank goodness there's one more day of the Feast of the Assumption. Did you have a good time? I did. I had a great time. Uh, met a lot of good people, ate a lot of good food, probably too much good food, and, <laughs> and, and got to actually speak with the, the, the owners of Cordo's Bakery, who, as you probably know, Bob, uh, when, when the uh, lawlessness took hold of Cleveland a couple of years ago and the rioters were burning small businesses. They actually stood in the doorway with an AR-15 and said, you're not going to destroy what our family's built. And I just admire that so much. And, it, you know, it's one of those things that reminds me uh, we've got to have courage in this moment. If, if, if folks like that can do what they did, then certainly uh, people like me can stand up for this country. It takes courage. There's no doubt about it. And um, courage was not shown by any of the Democrats who had professed to be moderates uh, when it comes to this bill. Uh, you know, they call it the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. I think the more accurate description is the Inflation Production Act, because uh, virtually every economist says it's going to increase inflation over the next two years, slightly, but an increase, not a decrease. But um, it, it took courage to stand up and, and stop this. Uh, Joe Manchin stopped it in its largest form, the uh, Broke Back Better deal, but he, of course, greenlit this one, and his name is on it. The way you talk about it, and I think you're right, Tim Ryan's name ought to be on this thing as well. You know, they've been calling this the Manchin-Biden bill, and this is now essentially, uh, you know, Manchin and Ryan and everybody else who pretended to be a moderate but then voted right along with this massive extremist bill, uh, which is going to raise taxes on middle-class Americans and, uh, as I said before, uh, serve to torment them with 87,000 new agents uh, for years to come. Yeah, and Tim Ryan, of course, parades around Ohio as some sort of independent, but when the people of Ohio really needed him, it was on this bill. And what he did instead is bent the knee to Pelosi and Joe Biden, as he always does, because he votes with them 100% of the time. Uh, and and I, I, I can't believe that a guy who's, if he has a signature campaign promise, that Tim Ryan has talked about anything in the last two years, it's been that he wants a middle-class tax cut. And yet he supports a bill that increases taxes on the middle class, and in fact, hires 87,000 IRS agents to harass middle-class workers and small businesses all across our state. It's just an unbelievable, fraudulent move from a guy who pretends to be one thing but is actually a Nancy Pelosi Democrat when he goes to represent the people of Ohio and Washington. J.D., what is your biggest problem with this bill? Is it the agents? Is it the increase in taxes? I mean, I read this for Jim Jordan when I talked to him uh, an hour ago. Um, you know, Nancy Pelosi said that this bill that every Democrat, or excuse me, that every Republican opposed lowers prescription drug costs. It lowers health care costs. Uh, it, it, uh, it's a paid-for way to lower inflation, and it saves the planet and pleases Mother Earth. This was her description, and why would any Republican oppose those things? Um, that's her characterization of it. What's yours? Well, there's so much to choose from, Bob, but the thing that really gets me about it is that in the midst of a historic inflation crisis, the beginning of an economic recession that I fear is going to get worse, the Democrats have settled 
upon an economic policy that basically gives Tim Ryan's wealthy donors tax credits to buy electric vehicles. And where are those electric vehicles manufactured China? Where are the materials that go into those electric vehicles mined China? Why are we spending the American people's tax dollars in the midst of this inflation crisis to subsidize the Chinese economy all in the name of green energy? That's not what the American people signed up for with Joe Biden. That's certainly not what Tim Ryan has promised the people of Ohio that he would stand up for. So I think that's probably the thing that bothers me the most is this isn't about reducing inflation. This isn't about giving people in Ohio or anywhere else some economic relief. This is about paying homage to the green energy obsession of the Democratic Party. And it's going to make us all poorer. It's going to make our country weaker. and It's going to make the Chinese much better off. That's not a bill that any of us should be supporting, no matter how uh, no matter how liberal or conservative we are. See, this is the problem I've always had with Washington, and I, you know, really, <laughs> I, I, I have a certain amount of respect for anybody in Washington who has to go into the swamp and deal with these things. That they lump things together that have nothing to do with one another, so much so that you are obviously opposing this, you know, eighty-seven thousand uh, uh, new bureaucrats working for the IRS to harass people. You're obviously voting no to a put, not you, but if you were in the Senate, I know you would have vote, voted no on this, um, you know, to um, uh, to uh, uh, raise taxes on the middle class. But but yet there's the prescription drug thing in there, and and because they lump them together, the headline and I'm looking at a Google or not a, you don't use Google I use DuckDuckGo the DuckDuckGo search result is 183 Republicans vote against making prescription drugs cheaper. That's their headline. Uh, 191 House Republicans vote against slashing costs for prescription drugs because that was part of something. You don't oppose cheaper prescription drugs. I don't think any Republican would oppose cheaper prescription drugs for American consumers and and, and citizens. But they lump that in with this. And then if you vote for one thing and against another, you, of course, then take the hit for being, uh, you know, opposed to prescription drug coverage in this case. Well, that's absolutely right, Bob. So so it is, you know, of course, if you have an 800-page bill, you're going to have a few things in it that actually are good. It's almost impossible for a broken clock not to be right at least once or twice a day. But look, uh, so, so, so ask yourself. So absolutely, I think that the Medicare program should be able to better negotiate prescription drug prices. I think it saves our seniors some money. It saves our taxpayers some money. But what do they do with the savings gained from that good provision? Did they give it back to the American people in the form of tax relief? Did they put it back into the Medicare program to ensure that it actually took care of our seniors? No. What they did instead is they spent it on tax credits for electric vehicles. Like this is, again, it's so crazy that they're doing this in the midst of the economic problems that we have. But look, this is their agenda. Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, they said they came into office saying they would make power, they would make energy more expensive. They have delivered exactly that, and Tim Ryan has been with them every step of the way. Um, let me ask you a little bit, J.D., about uh, what happened last Monday. One week ago, the President of the United States, former President of the United States, had his home raided in what apparently was an expansive, non-specific, targeted, warranted search by the FBI for, well, anything you can find. Find us anything you can to try to destroy this man, because that is what we... And once the warrant was unsealed, and we saw what was taken, and we saw what was scoured, we saw, you know, the combing through of Melania Trump's clothes, uh, trying to look for anything and everything that they could that they think might bring this man down. What is the impact of that, or what do you think it should be on the American people as they watch this happen to a former president? 
because um, a lot of us think, my goodness, what excuse would they need to come to my door and knock on my door and say we're looking for something? Well, what, what? is it? We don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a it's a it's a wide open warrant, and basically anything we can find uh, to take you down, that's what we want to do. Go ahead. Well, I think it reveals that Merrick Garland, the leader of the Department of Justice, is just a political hack. I mean, we saw this when he was investigating. And this is just awful. And he was investigating the parents protesting at school board meetings, basically treating them as domestic terrorists in their own country. And then, of course, now going after the former president, who is the obsession of the modern left in this country. And look, every justification that they have is this. So originally, remember, they said that it was because that he had some documents that he refused to turn over. And then they were leaking to the to the media that he somehow had the nuclear code. But now uh, I'm sure that they've moved on to something else. But but the fundamental question is, have they justified this extraordinarily political action? And, of course, the answer is no. If you're going to do this uh, to the former president, you need to actually be honest with the American people about what you're doing, and they have failed to even try to justify it, because I don't think they, they feel that they really need to. And, and I, I think it's important to point out, Bob, what, what makes this so dangerous, it's not that he's the former president of the United States. It's not that he's a, a, a beloved politician uh, to millions of Americans. I could care less about that stuff. It's that he is the likely leader of the opposition in 2024. Joe Biden sticks the FBI on the leadership of the Republican Party on his likely challenger in 2024. Dangerous. These people howling for the past six years about threats to our democracy and to our democratic president go after his political opposition like that. That's what happens in banana Republicans, not Republicans not the United States of America. No, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and the left is mocking us for saying, well, if they can do this to him, what can they do to us? Well, you know, we might not have sensitive classified documents in our homes, but again, all somebody has to do is raise. And, and the fact that what you pointed out is true <clears throat> about the FBI as we tie this back. What they've done to school board, our parents who have been too loud at school board meetings, oh, you, you know, you're going to be investigated as a domestic terrorist. You're going to be investigated as a potential threat. And they can go into your financial records. They can go into your home. They can go into your closet. They can do whatever they want to do. And the left is mocking us for saying they might do this to us, but they've already done it. And, and going back to 2011 with what they did to, uh, conservative groups. Anybody with the with the name of uh, you know Patriot or Nine Twelve or Tea Party or whatever was was scrutinized by the IRS and was was harassed and had their uh, applications for tax exemption uh, withheld and so on and so forth. So they have proven that they are absolutely able to be weaponized when there are Democrat presidents in charge appointing Democrat attorneys general uh, to to then uh, tell the you know the the FBI under their purview what to do. Um, it, 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 so if they can do that again, I, I really have absolutely no confidence whatsoever that they would stop their search with just a former president. Well, and of course they, they wouldn't. And we have to remember, Bob, like this is an, an insult not just to the American people, not just to, to Donald Trump, uh, but to the incredible law enforcement officers, local, state, and federal, who don't like this stuff, who don't want the leadership of the DOJ to use them in this way. I mean, I've met a lot of FBI agents guys in Ohio uh, who are obviously dedicated patriots, they put their lives on the line, and they don't want to be used like this. They don't want Merrick Garland to use them as a political football, and we, we should not expect them to want that. I mean, of course they don't. Whether they're Democrats or the Republicans, they want to do law enforcement. That's what the DOJ should be focused on, not political hits. 
We're talking with uh, J.D. Vance, who, of course, is uh, the opponent of Tim Ryan in this upcoming uh, Senate uh, race. How are you feeling now that we're, what, 90-ish days out? Um, how are you feeling about the direction? Obviously, the last time you and I spoke, we talked about, you know, the TV campaign and when is that going to ramp up, and I think it did like the next day or two days after. So you're starting sure. to become a little more aggressive, starting to be a little bit more visual out there. How are you feeling about things? I feel very good. I mean, we have a plan, and the plan is to, is to very deliberately execute a message about what Tim Ryan has failed to do, what he has done, the, the rare times that he shows up to work, and, and, and how I would be different, how I'd provide a check on this really ridiculous craziness coming out of Washington, D.C. And, and I feel like we're in a very good place to do that. Uh, the fact that Tim Ryan bent the knee to Nancy Pelosi on this Inflation Reduction Act uh, is yet another uh, is another reason why I, I think he's just this, this lie that he's a moderate is ridiculous and is something that he can't possibly defend. Uh, so I, I, I think we're going to win this race, but we can't take it for granted. And so I'd encourage people, you know, we need a lot of help. JDVance.com is the place to go to sign up to be a volunteer to support our campaign uh, because this next 90 days is when people really start to pay attention. And it's when we're going to either win the Senate race, start to take back the country, or lose and give Joe Biden a rubber stamp in the Senate. You know, J.D., I can't ask about an election without asking about election integrity. <laughs> and, and I ask sure. this of every, everybody, whether you're a candidate right now like you are or already in office. Um, what's your confidence level that the, the election is going to be um, trusted or trustworthy? And I don't mean just in Ohio, because, you know, we've had probably a better track record than some other states, particularly looking back at November of 2020. But how do you feel about the... Um, level of election security nationwide as the Republicans try to take control of the House and the, and the Senate? Do you feel like that there are going to be, uh, that the results are going to be results we can trust? Well, like you said, I feel very good about Ohio. Um, I think we've done elections very well here. I mean, look, I, I do worry about this in other states, in Washington and Arizona. You know, of course, we had our second primary on August 2nd, which was my birthday. Uh, and, I, and I remember, you know, I had a friend running in Arizona. I had a friend running in Washington. And three days after those elections, these guys were still counting ballots. And, I mean, that's just what happens in a third-world country. Uh, you should know who your winner is within a few hours of the polls closing, maybe a 24 hours at most of the polls closing. This is not rocket science. And, yeah, I, mean, I do worry about some of the states out there. But luckily in Ohio, we're going to be in good shape. Um, and, and, and this is, you know, this is something the RNC, I will say, Bob, is better prepared deal with in 2022 than they were in 2020. I think in some of the more contested states, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Nevada, they're going to have people on the ground ready to fight this stuff. We should have been doing that in 2020, uh, but I, I think we're ahead of the curve in 2022. So I feel a lot better about it today, but there are going to be some issues, so we got to keep, we, we got to be vigilant. Yeah, I completely concur. There are things I'm much more confident about than I would have been two years ago, but there are things, things are certainly not perfect. There are still, you know, a vote, a computer voting systems that can be, that can be hacked that have been proven to be unreliable. In some ways, they can be manipulated during the count, et cetera. So there's still a lot of concerns there. I think the momentum is there for you to win, for, uh, Republicans to win, uh, both, both chambers of Congress and really start to turn things back around here. But, uh, I'm not going to be confident until all the votes are counted and that we can trust that they've been counted properly. So, J.D., with that, we'll say thank you so much for the time. The website, again, is just, is it just jdvance.com? That's right. Thanks, Bob. You got it. Thank you, J.D. jdvance.com, J.D. Vance for U.S. Senate. And by the way, I want to throw this out there super quick before the break here. Um, we've been talking about the election integrity issue on this program so much so. Uh, that some people have reached out to me, and we, in fact, some of the 
interviews that I've done, people have said, if you want to, you know, if you've got a problem with it, go volunteer, be a poll watcher, uh, be a poll observer, and make sure that there are no shenanigans going on at the precinct, you know, near you. And um, somebody, a friend of mine, sent me this uh, this message that said the person in charge of election integrity in Ohio, the person who organizes observers, is a uh, a lady named Brooke Bielman. She's the Ohio Election Integrity State Director. She is the one who can set you up and get you registered as an official poll watcher. So what we need is to organize observers for our area, poll observers for our area, and you need to do this if you're willing and able to to you know play a role here. Send an email to this email. They ask that we not give her phone number on the, on the air. So the email to inquire about being a poll observer at a local precinct near you is bbeelman at gop.com. Now, obviously, I'll spell that for you. B, the letter B, then Beelman, which is B-I-H-L-M-A-N. So B-B-I-H-L-M-A-N, Beelman at gop.com. That's the person who organizes, as I say, uh, the poll watchers and poll observers for the Republican side. She's the Ohio Election Integrity State Director. So contact her if you are able to uh, be a poll watcher observer and make sure that things are on the up and up as much as we can on the ground on the night of November 8th. All right? And the day of November 8th, I should say. They'll count them at night. Thanks so much uh, for for your interest in that. We'll take a time out here and come back on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway now, nine minutes past 11 o'clock. Thank you so much for joining us. Finally, after three terrific conversations, and important ones in my view, which, again, you will be able to hear on the podcast of today's show at alwayswrite.us, probably within a couple of hours. It's Monday, the 15th morning of the eighth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. But um, those interviews were terrific, but now we have an open uh, period for you between now and the end of the broadcast to dial 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers gets you here, and we certainly look forward to your participation in today's show. Before we do anything else, though, and before we talk, and I do have a little bit more on the FBI, and not specifically the raid per se, but just bigger picture here. But before we do that, we have not had a deep thought from Kamala in a while. She's had a few, but I haven't found a time to play them. Uh, 
uh, in a while now. So I, I, I want to bring you the latest deep thoughts from the most dim-witted speaker, maybe in the history of the American presidency. And I'm speaking, of course, of Kamala Harris, who is better known for her word salads than she is for her performance as a border czar. She's better known for making things up and not knowing what she's talking about and trying to talk her way through it anyway uh, than she is for anything that she has actually done to facilitate anything positive for the American people. She's the vice president. that She's a heartbeat away, and that heart might not be strong because it's in the body of a, of a decrepit old man who has to be shuffled from point A to point B and often doesn't know where he is. But she's a heartbeat away from the presidency as Kamala Harris, and I feel like that makes it fair game for us to talk and and, and listen, talk about and listen to um, Kamala Harris. So when we talk about equality, well, that's a good goal. But let us not presume that because everyone should be treated equal, that they start out on equal footing. So equity, as a concept says, recognize that everyone has the same capacity, but in order for them to have equal opportunity to reach that capacity, what we must pay attention to this issue of equity if we are to expect and allow people to compete on equal footing. What? What did she say? I probably should have prepped myself for that by listening to it again this morning. I first heard it last night, and I didn't listen to it again until I played it just now. And I'm sorry for laughing, but uh, what did she just say? This woman does not know the definition of equity nor the definition of equality, and she tries to use them interchangeably all while making a point that they are not the same. It's just so Baffling and puzzling and yet comedic and hilarious. Kamala Harris is just priceless. And by the way, every word she says sounds like she's on the verge of tears. Even when she starts giggling. You have the shake in her voice. It's just oh, lordy, lordy, lordy. And she's a heartbeat away, and he's still got two and a half years to go. I don't know if he's going to make it, and when he doesn't, are we really seriously going to swear this in? This 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 bad, poorly written Saturday Night Live knockoff? Is that really what we would do? Seriously? So when we talk about equality, well, that's a good goal. But <laughs> why is that hard to say? Uh, that's a, a good goal. Yes, equality is the goal. Equality is the goal, and that's what we have. Equality, you babbling bimbo, equality of opportunity. Equality exists in this country, whether you're male or female. And by the way, you can only be one or the other. Ain't but two genders. Two genders. Ain't nothing but men and women. Whether you are male or female, whether you are old or young, whether you are uh, uh, gay or straight, whether you are, you know, whatever, everyone has the same. There's, there is not a separate set of rules for what people are allowed to do and pursue. Not in, I mean, there used to be. There used to be, obviously, and that's what makes this wonderful country the greatest force for good in the history of human civilization, as I always say. 
because we corrected our mistakes. We righted our wrongs. We, we, we embraced what this country was founded upon. And that is the belief and the knowledge that God created every single one of us uh, in his image and all completely equal. So equality of opportunity is what we have in this country now. There are no different sets of laws for men or women, for young or old, black or white, uh, or any other ethnicity. It's, it, we do have equality, equality of opportunity. That is very, very different than equity. What is equity? Madam Bimbo? But let us not presume that because everyone... Why does she sound like she's crying? But let us not presume that because everyone should be treated equal, that they start out on equal footing. They do start out on equal footing. That is what we went to great pains and spent billions and billions of dollars and Lord knows how many lives to make sure happened. Everybody does start out with the same equal footing. If you have a grandchild tomorrow, and I have a grandchild tomorrow, and one of them is whatever the heck race you are, and I don't even know, but you're not an African-American. I like how she goes by black, first black vice president, black female vice president, but she's what? What is she, part Jamaican and part Indian or something like that? Whatever you are, be whatever that is. I don't care, but your grandchild will have the same opportunity and same equal footing as mine would. All right? Let's just get that out of the way right now. But please, continue. So equity, as a concept, says... I can't wait to be educated by this dingbat. Recognize that everyone has the same capacity, but in order for them to have equal opportunity to reach that capacity, what we must pay attention to this issue of equity. I... That's the third time I've heard it now, and I still don't know what she said. I still can't figure her out. So equity as a... And, 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 and I know you can't see it because this is radio, but I'm watching it too. The head nods that she gives to the crowd that she's speaking to as she says these things are just so priceless. She's nodding as if everybody is in agreement with her. Like, right? You get what I'm going with? Going, I'm going with this, right? You get this? No one does. But she nods and has this strange smirk on her face. Like, I'm killing it, right? I'm just killing it out here. You, you guys are digging what I'm saying right now, right? It's just, you, you got to see it to believe it. But you can't. So let's, I'll do my best to describe. So equity as a concept says, recognize that everyone has the same capacity, but in order for them to have equal opportunity to reach that capacity, what well, we must pay attention to this issue of equity. I'm trying my level best, I swear to you I am, to understand what she's saying. And I cannot. I'm a fairly intelligent guy, a little bit educated, a little bit reasonable and i'm literally doing my level about yes am i mocking her absolutely am i calling her a bimbo absolutely look how she started her political career it wasn't on her feet how did kamala harris get to be where she is a whole bunch of reasons none of them have to do with merit or qualifications am i calling her names yeah am i being am i being critical yeah it's a little juvenile yeah but i'm being honestly and can do my level best to try to understand what she's trying to say here so that i can you know refute it really and i can't because it's it makes no sense so equity as a concept says equity as a concept says equity doesn't say anything you're lost from the beginning of your your statement recognize equity says recognize 
that everyone has the same capacity, but in order for them to have equal opportunity to reach that capacity. No, equity doesn't say any of those things because equity isn't a a a, a concept that that can speak or describe. And I don't mean that literally. I mean no, equity just is a is a statistic. You 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 babbling bimbo. It's a statistic. Equity says that everybody must have the same outcome, regardless of their effort or their merit or their qualifications. Equity says that if there are 50% of the students at Harvard that are white, their doggone well-being better be 50% that are black, even if only 20% of them perhaps are actually meet the qualification standards. And of course, that's a very simplistic explanation because, or example, because you know Harvard's big problem has to do with more more with Asian Americans than anything. They're banning Asian Americans because, again, of, of inequity. They're turning down superbly qualified Asian Americans or Asians, not even who are American, but who are coming here to study. They're turning down these students who are supremely qualified because the campus doesn't have equity. In other words, the same number of people um, of each race or ethnicity. There needs to be more black people on campus and fewer Asian people and fewer white people on campus so that it looks equitable, equally distributed rather than equally opportunistic. That's the difference. Why is are these terms, which are honestly, I to ponder this for a moment. I, 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 I used to teach English. Seventh grade English, and then some high school English. I, I, I think these terms would very easily fall into a vocabulary, a vocabulary list for my, my former seventh grade students. I do. I do. I think these terms are easy enough for seventh graders to understand what equity is, what it intends to do, what equality is, the difference between them. Um, opportunity, what that word, I think all of those are junior high level words, and she simply annihilates them. So equity, as a concept, says, recognize that everyone has the same capacity, but in order for them to have equal opportunity to reach that capacity, what we must pay attention to this issue of equity if we are to expect and allow people to compete on equal footing. My kingdom for a teleprompter. Somebody get that woman a teleprompter. Somebody. Because when she is forced to try to speak off of the cuff, it's just painful. Get her a teleprompter a teleprompter immediately. She can't do any worse at it than this one does. It is noteworthy that the percentage of women who register to vote and cast a ballot is consistently higher than the percentage of the men who do so. End of quote. Repeat the line. When- <laughs> he can't have one, and she can't be without one. And these are the two options for leadership from the Democrat Party. 216-901-0945, I'll be right back. You know, it just dawned on me that I did a full segment on that when I started out saying, super quick, you got to hear the latest from Kamala, but I can't let it go. There's some things you can't just let go and you can't just accept. You have to, you have to really question and you have to really understand. And, uh, yeah, 
That's the vice president of the United States. And there, there was a story in our news at the top of the hour that said uh, uh, Maloney, uh, uh, Congresswoman uh, Maloney in New York said that Joe Biden will not run again in 2024. She was very confident about that. Said he will not run again in 2024. Uh, I don't know what what uh, inside information she's using to make that basis, but if it's true and it's a wide open free for all in a Democrat primary, Kamala gets another bite at the apple. I wonder if it would be any better than her first run when she ran last time, and in the primaries got less than two percent of the vote. Democrats hated her. Democrats couldn't stand her. She was nowhere near. She ended her campaign by my birthday in early December. In early December of 2019, she um, ended her campaign. She didn't even make it into the primary season of the spring. She was gone because the Democrats couldn't stand her. I wonder if four years of performance as this vice president will change that. It's kind of hilarious to think about. All right, uh, let's go to um, Chuck in Cleveland. Hey, Chuck, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead, sir. Hi, Bob. Um, I believe the word that you've been dancing around and you're trying to find is affirmative action. Thanks for taking the call. Bye-bye. Okay, thank you. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't disagree with that, Chuck. Um, the Biden administration made it very, very clear, Joe Biden did, that he wanted his cabinet, to look like the most diverse cabinet that the the country has ever seen. And that meant he was going to prioritize identity over merit. He was going to prioritize appearance, sexual orientation, psychological uh, delusion, uh, race, um, sex. All of those things are going to be prioritized over the best person for the job. I'm going to pick a, a... uh, a homosexual man who wears dresses for this job. I'm going to pick a, a, a cross-dresser who says he's not a man or a woman. He's just a being for that job. These are both true, by the way. Uh, uh, I'm going to pick a black woman for that job. Somebody who's got, they got to be black and they got to be female. I'm going to pick, you know, and he just went through the, the, the intersectionality of, of identities, political identities, that so many people on the progressive side have and said, I'm going to make my cabinet diverse. Not the best person, but the person who fits and checks that box. That's, by definition, affirmative action. So you're not wrong. I've just been calling it, you know, um, you know it's, it's the opposite of qualifications, the opposite of merit. It's just, it's... Um, you know, you, you say affirmative action, and I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of synonyms that I've used for that, but there are very many things that you could say, but none of them are qualifications or based on merit, and that's been the problem. Uh, let me go to Jan in Greater Cleveland next. Hi, Jan. Jo- oh, Joanne, not Jan, Joanne, sorry. Joanne, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead. Hi, Bob. You know, I was listening to Speculo the other day, mm-hmm. and he was talking about this judge that recused himself in the civil trial between Hillary and Trump. Judge, judge Reinhardt, yes. And yeah, and he mentioned the fact that because it was only six or eight weeks ago, number one, and number two, that, you know, him allowing this search warrant could make all this evidence like the fruit of the poisonous tree. Right. Because he never should have been able to do this. So everything they took would be inadmissible in court. You know, I mean, I, don't, I haven't heard one person on well, any station, Newsmax, Fox, Anybody yeah, talk I, I about have. That. I've heard people talk, maybe not on those the TV stations, but but Joanne, the the thing that um, you have to consider here is 
is a judge required to recuse himself in a situation like this that's not a lawsuit? This particular judge recused himself from the civil lawsuit that Trump had filed against sure. Hillary Clinton. I understand and, and, that. And is, expe- and is expected to do that. But if somebody comes, if the FBI comes to the judge and says, here's evidence that we have that there are uh, federal documents that are, in, uh, that are illegally in possession of someone's private residence, I don't think he has a, uh, um, an obligation to recuse himself. Well, I can't rule on that. I think if that's yeah, the case, from what he, it's on evidence. Was saying, I guess he had a really big recusal case years ago. Yeah. And this judge should have recused himself and made him go to another judge, according well, to him. Well, I mean, Jay Sekulow is a pretty smart guy. No, I know he is. <laughs> he, he's brilliant. He's brilliant. And yeah. I, and I, and I understand that. And, and, I'll say, and, Joanne, thanks for the call. Um, I would also say this to you. It doesn't matter. Okay. They judge shopped anyway. I don't know how many judges they went to originally who said, no, I'm not signing that warrant. But it would not surprise me if there was a multitude of judges that they went to already until they got one who would sign it. If, if uh, Reinhardt would not have signed it uh, and would have, quote, unquote, recused himself, and I still don't even know if that's necessarily the same, you know, the correct vernacular. Obviously, secular would, but uh, he can either say yes or no. He can refuse to sign something. I don't know if it's a recusal like you would do from a trial. But if they would, if Reinhardt would have done that, they would have kept going until they got one left-wing judge who didn't have a history on social media of of hating Donald Trump uh, to sign it, and and they would have gone forward. There was nothing. In other words, if they are hell bent on coming to get Donald Trump, and clearly they are, there's nothing that's going to stop them. If they don't get it from the right judge, they'll go to another judge. It's the same thing with the impeachment. Well, we didn't get, we didn't win in the first impeachment. Let's impeach him again. We'll just keep going until either we finally get him. Or he gets tired of fighting back and then just finally quits. I don't think it would have mattered. But this judge, yeah, he had a clear bias against Donald Trump. Uh, whether he uh, can recuse himself from an evidence-based uh, uh, a warrant request or not, that's, you know, you're right. Jesse Sekulow is a very smart guy, but I think it wouldn't have mattered. 1030, or excuse me, 1130. We'll get news. We'll come back. Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Unreason. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer. Always right radio indeed. It's 1139. Got uh, time for a couple more quick phone calls. Let's go to Tracy, who is in Strongsville. Tracy, thanks for waiting. You're adding in 1420 the answer. Go ahead. Hey, Bob, you know, I've been I've been troubled by this FBI raid since the beginning, trying to figure out what suicide mission the Dems are on. What's their what's their end game here? So we have a magistrate that clearly signed this thing to the point that likely everything's going to be inadmissible. Right. So are they going after him for criminal anything or are they just trying to smear him in the public eyes? January 6th didn't get that outcome that they wanted. It didn't alter anybody's minds. It didn't change people's perception of him. So was this something like that, where they really are just going to have, quote, convenient leaks of things that they found? doesn't matter if it's in, inadmissible. 
they're going to leak stuff. Well, I think it's two things. I think it's part that, part of what you just described, uh, to try to smear him, but also... By smearing him and tainting him, they're trying to change the, the trajectory of the elections in November for all of the people he's endorsed. Because if, if they end up charging him, even if they know they can't convict him because this would be inadmissible, that would be inadmissible, if they end up indicting or charging him, that's all it would take. Everybody that has endor- he has endorsed is going to have to separate. They're going to have to put right. away and say, I can't be associated with that because if Trump is going down, then my career goes down with him. Well, scaring him. I mean, it's exactly, Intimi- it's, it's intimidating. Like yeah, intimidating them and harassing them into separating. So I, I think it's as much that as it is trying to specifically stop him, smearing him as an individual, so that he can't run for president again. Well, I think, I think for twofold. me, the, the, when they said that he had quote nuclear, you know, nuclear codes, right then and there is when something went off in my head that this is really what it's about. They did not get the expected outcome from the January six trials at all. Nothing. Nobody was tuning in and watching. So all of a sudden, this it's it, to me. It's just all about. Well, Jay, remember they 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 all work in concert though, because you know the January sixth uh, commission investigation is not over. Uh, that that committee is they're taking a break, just like uh, you know Congress is. They're they're going to start back up again in probably September October, and they're going to have more hearings. They have said basically part two is still right? to come. Exactly. Take a break, Very right convenient. November. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, so yeah, they, I mean, they're not done. Uh, you know, as far as the January 6th thing, they think they still have their best ammunition and they're, uh, you know, that, that's still uh, locked and loaded. They haven't fired yet. So uh, time will tell. Well, I tell, think they but... were maybe looking for that. Maybe that's what they were looking for, more ammunition because they don't have anything. So let's go see what's in Trump's house and then come back and you know, September. Oh, October. no doubt. No doubt about that. Yeah, that's why, uh, you know, we talked about this last week. Monday, they raided Mar-a-Lago. Tuesday, they seized the cell phone of uh, the, one of the first people that they tried to uh, uh, parry, uh, the first people that they tried to subpoena to appear at the January 6th committee. Um, right. You know, they seized his cell phone the day after they raided Mar-a-Lago, and he was one of the first targets that they had. He's the, the chairman of the Freedom Caucus, so Scott Perry. So, uh, you know, so if you look at the fact that the uh, January 6th committee came after Perry, now they raided Trump's home the day after they go after Perry's phone. To me, they, yeah, I think it's probably connected. They're looking for anything they can use that's more damaging for the next round of uh, hearings at the Select Committee. Absolutely. Well, you have a good one, Bob. Thanks too, for always Tracy. doing your good work. Thank you for the great phone call. That's a really, really intelligent phone call. She raised a lot of very good points there. But I said that last week, too, and I really believe it. I think there's, there's I don't even know if I want to say 1 and 2 or A and B. It's almost 1A and 1B. Two mutual, I think, important goals here for them. Not only do they stain and taint Trump so that he can't run for president again, but they they stain and taint all of those with whom he is associated who are running for Congress in November so they can stop this takeover that they know, this tsunami, that if things are on the up and up, will happen. And they will surrender their power and everything they've tried to do, this progressive machine of theirs, would be stopped in its tracks. And uh, the best way to do that is to crush the leader of the opposition party. And that leader is very clearly Donald J. Trump. Um, Chuck in North Ridgeville next. Hi, Chuck. Go ahead. Hey, Bob. Bob, uh, uh, you and uh, I met uh, with my wife, but I've met you a couple times. You're a very big guy. I remember Seb Gorka. He's a big guy too. You know, if you guys had to duke it out, Seb, yeah. Seb makes me look small. He's got to be six five or so. Yeah, yeah, the only winner guy. would be the lawyers and the healthcare system. But I wanted to tell you, <laughs> uh, when all this came down, I looked at my wife and I said, "We did meet." Uh, I said, you know something, both Durham must be getting close. And an article I read on Red State uh, Morning uh, this morning, Cash Patel, 
who is an advisor to Trump, said what they were looking for and why this is so general is they were looking to scrub documents for Hillary Clinton regarding uh, the uh, Durham trials, which are coming up in a week or two. I think that's extremely significant. It very and well could be, Chuck. And thank you for the call, my friend. I've got to run here. We're up against it, but it very well could be. Uh, I think everybody has been waiting breathlessly for the John Durham uh, results of his investigation and trials to follow. Thanks, everyone, for a great time today. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a great one. Bye bye. Let's go, Brandon.